Hello and welcome to African Jeopardy. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Creil in Scotland. Today we will be discussing fishing and insurgency in the Lake Chad Basin, exploring Boko Haram's economy of violence with Malik Samuel. Malik Samuel is an investigative journalist and a researcher with the Institute for Security Studies, a former fellow of the Institute for War and Peace Reporting, IWPR, and former member of the Professionals in Humanitarian Assistance and Protection, PHAP. His work in the last seven years had been focused on the Boko Haram crisis affecting the Lake Chad Basin region. His research focus includes, but is not limited to, terrorism financing, children in conflict, human rights violation in conflict, farmer heather clashes, crime terrorists, among others. I mean, if you look at the topic of today's discussion and the bio of Malik Samuel, you would agree with me that we have the right person to speak to on the subject. So thank you so much for being here, Malik, and welcome to African Jeopardy. Um, thank you so much for having me. I will just go straight to the point to give you an opportunity to tell us more. So you've recently um, written an article for the ISS titled Boko Haram's Deadly Business, an Economy of Violence in the Lake Chad Basin. And I just want to go straight to the point and ask you, what has fishing got to do with insurgency? Tell us more. Um, okay. Thank, um, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to speak on such a, such a topic. Um, now to your question about, um, the significance of uh, or the relevance of fishing to um, terrorism. Um, I think it's uh, with regards to Boko Haram, it's about um, taking advantage um, of um, of, a, of a of a very useful um, means of livelihood for people, you know, to further extend. Their, their campaign of, um, of violence against not just them, the state, but also some aspects of, um, of civilians. The Lake Chad um, Basin waters is a very rich water when it comes to um, fishing. You know, it cuts across um, the four major countries being affected by the crisis, Nigeria, Chad, Nigeria, and, uh, and Cameroon. Even before the insurgency, Fishing was a major source of livelihood um, for the people of this area, in addition to um, farming, crop farming, and uh, animal husbandry. You know, so but with the violence and um, the uh, insecurity in this area, particularly the um, island villages um, in the different parts of these countries um, where these guys are, where the group operates, you know, so um they have used insecurity to prevent the state and when i say the state i mean the governments of this um these countries they've used insecurity to prevent them from having access to this um to this area so and in um as a result of that they have fairly um what i would call unlimited control of the fishing activities you know in this um 
in this uh, in this area. So they allow people to come in into these um, areas to 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 fish, and then in exchange, they extort the people. They call they call it taxation, but as uh, for me, I call it extortion because they are not the state. You know, so what uh, whatever they get from the people. Uh, it, which is um, compulsory because the people don't have a choice without uh, uh, they don't have a choice of not paying. It's um, it's a it's a precondition that for you to fish um, on these waters, you have to meet certain uh, certain conditions set um, set by by Islam, the Islamic State of uh, West African Province, which is a function of Boko Haram for for people who don't who are not familiar with um, with the group, you know. So mm-hmm. they allow fishermen, they allow villagers, they allow civilians to come to these areas to fish, and then the condition for some of the conditions for for being allowed to fish there is that um, a fisherman uh, pays a certain amount uh, for the fishing permit, and then for some they also um, pay, uh, they also give uh, fuel because fuel is a very vital commodity for, for the group, you know, so each fisherman for those who fish on the main waters who use fishing boats, you know, so you pay, you, you give 25 liters of fuel and then you pay 5,000 naira um, right now I can't do the conversion in my head in terms of dollars, but in, mm-hmm. in naira it is 5,000 naira um, for the fishing permit and 25 liters of fuel, you know, for you to be allowed, you know, to uh, to fish. So over the years, ISWAP has used this um, this activity to not only generate and revenue, but also to 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 recruit and also further its um its campaign of terror against um against the state. Wow. So thank you so much. Um, so uh, practically or directly or indirectly, um, when people pay them the money and also the fuel that allows them to actually go and attack villages or sort of raise further havoc against the state, this is actually what is helping them to continue their their, their reign of terror, if we can put it that way. Absolutely, because one thing is um, without the resources, the financial resources, ISWAP's um, ability or the capacity to carry out the kind of attacks we've, um, we've seen will be very, very limited. Uh, because one, they need fuel to, um, to, to fuel their vehicles, whether um, motorcycles, whether um, the, the trucks and whatever vehicle that they use for, for mobility. They need fuel to do, you know, to do that. And in terms of money, they also need money to buy household items for the the the, the items and commodities that they don't get on the um, on the island, um, including food, uh, including food stuff. They also need money to buy um, different materials, bomb making materials. They need money to buy different um, um, vehicular parts to service to service their uh, their parts, whether the tires or different parts of the vehicle. They need money for a whole lot of um, these things. They also need money to pay to pay fighters. They don't pay them directly um, as a remuneration, let's say monthly or weekly, no, but they pay them uh, based on certain arrangements. For instance, if they carry out um, an attack against um, the, uh, against a military post, uh, a military post, 
they 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 take away the equipment if they succeed uh, that is and then they take away all the uh, equipment they find there let's say the, the the rifles the weapons belonging to the security forces their mm-hmm. uniforms their boots and everything so when they go back to the when they go back to the islamic state so called islamic state they call it the dawla so when they mm-hmm. go back to the dawla the states now the islamic state does not leave these things they brought the uh the spoils of war that's i think that's the right word to use they don't leave the spoils of war in the hands of the fighters so they mm. need to take this from them in exchange they have to pay for they have to pay for this you know if they are taking the guns that the fighters have brought from uh from their from their attack against the state they have a certain mm. amounts that they give in exchange for in exchange um, um, for this you know so if they don't have the money to do this of course they don't have the money to give to the fighters and if we understand the dynamics of this um, crisis, especially the engagement um, dynamics, the reason why a lot of people, a lot of youth joined this group. So yeah. we understand a lot of people joined the group for ideological reasons. But not just that, there are others who join for uh, economic prosperities because they feel being part of the group, you know, um, gives them, um, the, it's a way of surviving, it's a way of making money. You know, so if Iswap or Boko Haram does not have the money to do some of these things, uh, it does. It will be difficult to get um, some. It will be difficult to convince some uh, some some of its members or some of its, of its fighters to remain uh, to remain uh, with uh, to remain um, and continue doing what uh, what they're doing at the moment. So okay. that is uh, the that is the reason why I said it's important. They need the financial resources, you know, to continue to uh, to exist. Hmm. All right. Thank you so much. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the dynamics and how you have clearly also sort of explained the connections or the relationship between this whole process. I have one question before I go on to obviously ask for the clarification. In discussing how, you know, the arrangement works in terms of taxation to fish and also fuel, you kept mentioning fishermen, fishermen. And we know that in fishing, of course, although it is dominated by men, the fishing activity itself from research, we also know that the value chain, you know, those that sell and distribute are mainly women. So I wanted to ask you, what about the women? How or where or when does the women come into the picture or are they not also targeted? Um, uh, with regards to fishing and, um, or the, let's say the role of women in all, in all this, uh, you rightly pointed out that the fishing activities are practically, uh, dominated by, by the men. Mm-hmm. And, um, that is also because Iswap or Boko Haram, we know, um, originally, uh, came about as a result, using uh, the religious ideology and sort of. And then in the North, we, we, we know that the cultural practice where the, uh, the, the, the male being the head of the household, you know, um, is supposed to, is, in, uh, is supposed to provide a livelihood, supposed to provide, uh, um, all the things that the woman, the woman needs. And also yeah. women in certain areas in the North, you know, are not, um, allowed to uh, to interact with men or their interaction with men uh, uh, is limited. So in these areas, one thing that Boko Haram does is as much as possible 
to mm-hmm. ensure that the interaction between men and women is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in the area of fishing, in other aspects of life as well, including farming, including um, uh, businesses, even in the markets where this group uh, operates, women are not allowed to, to, to own or operate stores. Oh, you know, wow. So the only way women um, participate in this business of fishing is um, in areas outside the control of this group. Hmm. So when the fishermen or the fish traders bring the fish out of this, um, out of uh, the, 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 the island, the Lake Chad, the Lake Chad Basin Island, down to, down to the market now, uh, market outside the control of the group. So you can see women in markets where women operate, for instance, yeah. in the Meduguri fishing, in the Meduguri fish market, or in, mm. uh, in Mubi in Adama State, or in other, in other parts of, uh, the, in other parts of the Northeast where women, you, you go to market and you see women. Yes, mm. th- in these places, you see women selling fish, but they get the fish from the men who bring the fish from the, uh, from the island. So it's not that the mm. women directly participate in the fi- uh, in fishing or in yeah. uh, in processing the fish after the fish um, uh, the fish is caught. So uh-huh. that is um, that is the major re- and it is only because uh, Boko Haram does not allow um, does not allow women you know to be involved directly in a lot of activities in the areas where uh, uh-huh. where it controls. Okay, so thank you so much. So I guess it's more like a double curse, and depending on how you view it, it can also be a blessing. One, if women are not participating, it then means that women are not targeted. But at the same time, by women not participating in the process, it means that their source of livelihood or their ability to support their family is further reduced. Um, yes. Absolutely. Uh, sorry, if I may, um, if I may add, it's even uh, if you say women are not even uh, targeted, I think you're even putting it uh, mildly. Mm-hmm. We know that the this crisis, the insurgency affect uh, women more because yeah. uh, most of the victims, most of the displaced uh, people are, uh, are women who have yeah. lost their, who have lost uh, the, their male uh, relatives, whether they are husbands or their brothers or their fathers who, um, like I mentioned, originally would be the breadwinners. So yeah. these women have now been forced into becoming breadwinners. But if they are not allowed to participate directly in some of these economic activities, so you see that survival will be difficult for them, and mm-hmm. not just for them, for also um, for for their for their children as well. That will be a major um, a major problem for uh, for women. So thank you again for that clarification. Does this then make it even more uh, make them more susceptible to being re- recruited? I see that sex slaves or being forced into a relationship with Boko Haram because somehow they have to su- support their family and somehow they've lost their source of livelihood and they have to make ends meet somehow. Um, I wouldn't put it. Um, I wouldn't put it that way that okay. um, they become susceptible to uh, to gender based violence um, okay. by members of, of of Boko Haram. No, but by other members of society. Oh. Whether in the displaced and uh, the displacement and camps in the IDP camps where they where where they are or in the in the communities where they are present, because if they are not able to um, engage in means of um, livelihood, if their means of livelihoods um, are affected or taken away from them, you know they are they become uh, they are the mercy 
of um, of those in charge of um, uh, in charge of, of livelihoods, whether mm-hmm. uh, government officials in the IDP in the IDP camps or aid providers in these camps or other members of um, of the community. And this is real. We've, uh, mm-hmm. we've uh, research has shown that a lot of women engage in um, uh, in prostitution not because they want to do, not because they want, not because uh, they are happy doing it, but because they have no choice. They, because they need to fend for their families, they need to survive. So a lot of women in we've heard um, stories like this, not just in Meiduguri in Borno State, but also in uh, in Adamawa State in uh, in Mubi. We've heard women have to have, um, come, come out to say, yeah, we they they do this and that to survive, you know. Yeah. And you you it's even so disturbing because sometimes. It's for as little as two hundred naira, as little yeah. as five hundred naira. You know, it's it it this you know so. This is less than this is less than fifty p, right? This is less than fifty p in pounds, and this is less than a dollar for our listeners to actually make sense Ex- of what this is. Exactly. So wow. they are exploited. They are exploited because um, they they are vulnerable. You know, so that is how difficult um um it is or one of the major um, problems that this uh, insecurity has brought on, on, on women. Well, thank you so much for clarifying. You know, something that started as, when I actually, when when I invited you to be our guest, I wasn't sure about what to expect. Of course, I've read a bit around some of these issues due to the research that I do, but I've never really understood the extent, especially the gendered nature of some of these things. And I really appreciate you for explaining clearly to us. Um, as part of your clarification or sort of the discussions we've had so far, you did mention, and this is very important for understanding what is sustaining some of the, you know, or sustaining the insurgency is about money. So long as they have finance to support or recruit those that are motivated by lack of uh, finance or the quest for economic empowerment, so long as Iswa, Boko Haram, and the rest and the groups like them have money to sustain this kind of cycle, they would remain. And so, I read something that happened in 2019, wherein um, the Nigerian Army, as part of an effort to um, stop the advancement of Boko Haram. They destroyed four trucks of fish, you know, smoked fish, because of course, these dynamics wherein they know that Boko Haram is using it to finance um, what they do. I know that on the face of it, this seems quite extreme, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think, you know, as part of the solution, how do we actually address these things without necessarily further undermining livelihood. How do we address this problem, especially in relation to this benefit from from fish um, by Boko Haram? Um, yeah, so um, there's actually no easy easy answer to, um, to that because um, um, as good or as noble as the intention of security forces um, are in relation to to curtailing the activities of um, Boko Haram or denying them access to critical um, logistics. You know, some of these solutions have had unintended um, consequences on uh, on civilians, especially uh, civilian livelihoods. 
a civilian or a fisherman going to the Lake Chad Island to fish, uh, that is not a problem. He's doing, uh, he's uh, engaging in legitimate um, so, um, source of um, livelihood. You know, uh, so what we always, uh, when we speak with policy um, makers and other stakeholders, is that as much as possible, whatever action is being taken against this group, uh, it shouldn't result um, in the disruption of civilian civilian lives, especially civilian livelihoods. Now, to directly answer your question uh, with regards to what can be done, uh, the first thing is to understand these areas controlled by the, uh, by this by these groups, which part of the Lake Chad Basin Island they are present uh, they are present in, um, how they are, how are they able to um, to operate, how are they able to to benefit from from the uh, from the fishing, like I mentioned, the taxation you know, and all that. But beyond that. ISWAP also does its own fishing, its own fishing. It also has um, people within its ranks that fish, process, uh, process the fish and take the fish to the market for it on its, uh, on its behalf. So it does not only rely on the money it, uh, it extorts from, from people. It also relies on its own fishing activities. You know, so the first thing I would, um, I would recommend would be to ensure that civilians have access to these waters without going through Israel or without going through Boko Haram. And the only way to do that is to make sure that these waters, these areas are protected. These areas have um, a presence of security forces because if security forces are not present in these uh, in these areas, it's easy for these guys uh, for 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 Israel and other violent extremist groups you know, to take control, to prevent people from um, fishing there or carrying out um, any activities legitimately. You know, so first, we need to secure these um, waters. We need to prevent Israel from, uh, from going to these areas to collect money uh, from, from these people. It means you have to displace them. You have to dislodge them from, uh, from these areas. So that is, uh, that is one thing. Another thing is also to target to target uh, its supply supply routes. You know, one thing the group has done very well is to take advantage of um, the different legal and um, regular routes that connect a lot of these communities uh, together in, uh, with regards to transportation or movement of, um, of goods. So if security forces can check this route, that would be difficult, of course, to 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 achieve because it, it, it will stretch the man uh, the the manpower. But then it also means you can deploy technology to uh, to monitor movement of goods in this um in this um, in this area. So if you're able to do that, you disrupt you disrupt quite a lot the activities of this group. I give you um, an instance. If, for instance, Gaydam in Yobe State. Gaydam is a very good supply, uh, is a good hub, is a market, is a big market. And Iswap gets some products from this, um, from these areas. Goods coming, leaving northern Nigeria, let's say Kaduna or Kano, would have to go through this, uh, to go through Gaydam and then, uh, pretend to head to Niger or defy in Niger. But then there are, there are diversion points to the island for, for Boko Haram. So, Security forces, you have security forces deployed in Gaydam. You have security forces deployed in strategic places along the, along the road, all the way to, to, to Niger, Niger Republic. 
So, for instance, if a truckload of goods leaves Gaidam and gets to a checkpoint, the security forces should be able to determine from the driver who these goods belong, uh, belong to and where these goods are headed. If the driver says, for instance, the goods are headed um, to uh, Niger, so the security forces uh, there should be able to liaise with their counterparts in Difa in Niger to say so-and-so truck will be coming or is coming. So, and then at the end, they can determine if the, if the, if the truck reaches its uh, destination. If it does not reach its destination, the driver would have to come back because any truck that, uh, or any vehicle who, that passes through this road, they have to come back when the transport is mm. good. So if at the end you find out from your counterpart at the other side of the border mm. and they tell you that this truck did not arrive, the goods you said were, uh, was going to arrive did not arrive. So when the driver when the driver passes comes back, you have to stop the driver. You have to 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 find out from the driver to investigate where this uh, where this goods where you took the goods to. You said you, the goods were meant for for defer, but then it, it did not get to defer. So where did it take the goods to? So um, little little efforts like this, uh, they go a long way in disrupting in disrupting the activities of um, of Iswap. More specifically, some few weeks back. Sorry if I'm, uh, if there's uh, still time. Some few weeks no, back, the security forces, the security forces arrested some individuals in Monguno and uh, and Meduguri, and this proved really really hurtful for 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 ISWAP. ISWAP had vendors, fish vendors located ah. in uh, in Monguno and Meduguri. Now the role of these vendors were to ensure that the fish coming from the Lake Chad Island, fish belonging to Israel, they, mm. they, they were to ensure that these fish were processed in Monguno and then transported to Meduguri to be sold in the market so mm. that the money would be used to run, uh, to run other errands for it. So the security forces, I think, acting on intelligence, were able to arrest some of these vendors in Monguno and uh, Meduguri. Iswap was not happy. Iswap was really, really, um, was uh, really, really angry to the point that it expelled some some of the fishermen from the island because it mm. accused them of giving intelligence to the security forces. So you could see, uh, you, you you see that efforts like this, if they are if they are deployed, they may seem little, they may seem so small or negligible, but yeah. I think uh, uh, they for me they are like. Um, they're like little drops that uh, at the end make up and uh, make up an ocean. So if this little, if we, we don't need to wait for the big wins. We start yeah. with this small, uh, this small and little wins. So if you're able to disrupt um, Israel's activities, I think it's um, it's a step in the right direction. Thank you so much for not only being very clear on what can be done differently, but also sharing examples so we can make sense of you know what exactly needs to be done differently. Um, I'm, I'm aware of the time, but I wanted to ask a question around, you know, disrupting ISRAP, um, ISWAP or Boko Haram and ensuring that they don't have control of these areas. And and I wonder how, in terms of be tactical, how um, how logical this might seem, especially when we take into account that there has been so many incidents where, you know, either security forces have been overpowered or where security forces have been successful in 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 encountering the attacks of Israel, but so many civilian casualties and military casualties. In this instance, if the security forces try to go in to the island where Israel is currently controlling, will this not be very devastating for the civilians 
you know, that might be, that are already victims of the operations of Israel? Or is there, I mean, is there a different way of doing this without necessarily increasing the casualty? Because I feel already so many people have lost their life needlessly. Um, that is a, that is absolutely true. And um, there have been is, um, instances and um, examples of um, military operations um, resulting in civilian, in civilian casualties. But um, I think while I may not be fast in military um, strategy, I do believe that the security forces have that, um, have the ability, you know, to do that. Because uh, if you look at, um, during the peak of uh, Boko Haram between 2013 and uh, or between 2012 and 2014, when the group controlled vast areas with lots of civilians um, living in these areas. And, uh, and yeah, when the military decided to go on an offensive to, re- to, to recapture a lot of these, um, these uh, territories from Boko Haram, they were able to, to do that. You know, so I, I do think it's um it's uh, it's possible. Mm. But like you said, Israel or Boko Haram, I believe, is aware of the fact that if the security forces make um a massive move against it, the civilians may be caught, uh, may be caught in the middle. And we've seen we've had cases during the time of um, Abu Bakr Shekau where civilians were used as um, as shields, you know, uh, to protect uh, to protect uh, to protect themselves. And right now, as we speak, ISWAP is engaged in uh, what we call uh, the heart and mind strategy. ISWAP is engaged in endearing itself to, to civilians by carrying, mm-hmm. by carrying out a lot of, um, a lot of um, humanitarian services, whether you, whether you talk about the provision of, uh, of um, water, they, they did boreholes, mm-hmm. whether you talk about... Wow. Um, uh, where they talk about pro- uh, providing um, toilets, or you talk yeah. about uh, providing loans, you know, for people, providing mm-hmm. security, you know, for uh, for people. So mm-hmm. these are all um, activities that the government ordinarily should be doing. And you, in many of these communities, these remote communities, you find it difficult to establish any any um, state presence. When I say state presence, these places are so remote that they don't have the basic amenities that the government yeah. ordinarily should provide for people. So what this mm-hmm. is doing is taking advantage of all this, you know, to, mm-hmm. to get the people to, um, to come to live in, this, in these areas. And also it, it gives um, ISWAP the ability to also recruit to recruit yeah. from the people. So for, the, for, the, for, for security forces and the government to actually... Um, deal with this problem in addition to some of the uh, um, solutions I've, um, I've, 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 given in, uh, I've given earlier. Yeah. They also need to engage communities. They mm. need to engage uh, community leaders whether traditional, uh, traditional leaders and um, the, the local leaders. They need to engage, um, engage these people in finding um, solution, you know, to this, um, uh, to this, to this crisis. Because if you alienate the people, you're pushing them into the hands of, um, into the hands of uh, this violent extremist group. So, if whatever solution that will be, uh, that will be deployed, I think it has to take into into cognizance the fact that at the end, civilian casualty 
um, it needs needs to be avoided. Civilians uh, civilians need uh, not to be caught in the middle because already, like I said, rightly so, they are already victims. They've already uh, gone through a lot uh, in the over a decade of this um, of this of this crisis. Wow, I mean, I can go on listening to you and the insights and, you know, how you're drawing correlations between all these things and the socioeconomic reality of, of, of Nigeria and the region, the not, the northern region or this particular areas that is affected and how it is making it easier for the likes of Boko Haram to recruit. So in a nutshell, my understanding of your solution is that while armament is needed, it has to obviously be combined with socioeconomic um, provisions because otherwise the people might actually see ISWAP as a better option because, well, where have you been as a government since forever, if I can put it that way? So thank you so much for sharing your work with us and not only sharing your work, but also helping us understand the extent to which this is a problem and also reflecting on some of the solutions. So it has been really fascinating hearing everything you've said and learning so much from you, you know, um, apart from the fact that I research on maritime issues, a lot of the things you've said has basically made me think, I mean, how come something as simple as just fish have this big role to play in extending the insurgency that we see in the Lake Chad region? And so I wondered if you can have the final words by telling us, I mean, what do you have um, to say uh, in terms of your final words before we say our goodbyes? Okay. Um, so my final word would be from regards to the strategy that um, the government deploys to counter um, Israel. I... I think for me, relying on military strategy or military operation alone is not enough to, to solve this problem. And um, the government or all stakeholders need to find a way to counter ISWAP's narrative because ISWAP right now presents itself as the best alternative, the best form of um, government to these people. The, hand and, the heart and mind strategy I talked earlier it's not about you don't defeat that with um, with gun with uh, with military operations and military campaign so mm. you need to involve local leaders you need to involve traditional leaders you need to involve community members because in doing this you are able to discuss uh, to deconstruct a lot of the narrative of what um, the ideology that ISWAP feeds um, these people in winning them, winning them over. So um, that is uh, my concluding thought on this. Thank you so much for for sharing. You know, reflecting on the practical solutions and how it's not just about securitization through armament, but the government also have to, you know, walk the talk or match it with providing social livelihood or social protection for the people. I really want to thank you again on behalf of our listeners because I'm sure they would absolutely love this and hope that there will be another opportunity for us to extend an invitation to you and for you to, of course, honor our invitation. 
Um, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your expertise. And to our listeners, thank you so much, like always, for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for reflecting. And we hope you join us again soon. Thank you and goodbye.